As usual, I asked our guest, John Paulson, to pound the table for someone. Who you pounded the table for, John? I got to go with Jamar Chase. Uh, landed in a great spot, uh, by my estimation, with the Cincinnati Bengals uh, up-and-coming quarterback, Joe Burrow. Uh, the number one role is open there with A.J. Green moving on. A.J. Green got more targets than he needed to last year and didn't produce. Uh, but 9.0 vacated targets per game available. And since he, they do have T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. Uh, but I think Chase slots in there as the number one option pretty quickly. Uh, receivers drafted inside the top 10 with at least 12 games played as rookies since 2010 season, averaged a hefty 120.3 targets per game, resulting in an average of 210 fantasy points in PPR. Those are top 25 type numbers. So uh, I think his sixth, fifth, sixth round uh, ADP is uh, worthwhile at this point. That's awesome. Thank you, John. I can't argue with draft capital equaling success. Now let's get to the show. Welcome everyone to the most accurate podcast. I am your humble host, Brandon Niles. With me this week co-hosting is the great Chris Allen. Chris, how you doing today, buddy? I'm doing all right. I, I will not, uh, I guess I, I won't lie and say that I'm a little drained. After this, I mean, <laughs> this massive weekend just filled with news and some excitement. We got some drama, which I'm sure we'll talk about with John uh, being uh, our, our resident Packers fan. Uh, but I'm excited to be here and talk ball with both of you guys. I'm with you, man. It's kind of like uh, when, when you when you work in the industry and you and you you write and you create content. It's kind of like Christmas with kids, right? You get really excited, and then the day after, you're like, "I'm very ready for it to be January." I get that completely. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, as I mentioned, the cold open, uh, we're, well, we're, uh, happy to be joined by John Paulson, uh, the big Wisconsin cheese at four for four. Uh, John is, is on Twitter at four for four underscore John. John, thanks for coming on. How you doing? Uh, happy to be here. A little drained from the, uh, whatever, nine hours of live, live streaming we did on yeah. Thursday and Friday, but, uh, I appreciate you, uh, taking care of Saturday's, uh, draft and, uh, allowing me to recover over the weekend. It was fun. I love day three of the draft. I enjoy it. So I've got an article up there that uh, recaps uh, the skill position picks and talks about the fantasy output. Uh, uh, kind of a sneak peek. Uh, those guys probably shouldn't be drafted in most redraft leagues. Just, you know, so you know. Uh, but, John, before we get going into the draft, we're going to talk post-draft. Uh, who landed where? What the most uh, the key fantasy relevant uh, players are, but I, I want to give you a chance as a Packers fan. They finally drafted a wide receiver. How you feeling about Amari Rogers on day two? Yeah, it was the first uh, receiver in some time for the Packers. Uh, I want to say 2018, they uh, drafted uh, Jamon Moore, Marquez Valdez Scantling, and Equinemius St. Brown. And it's the first time that they've used uh, a third round pick or higher since Ty Montgomery. Uh, and the year before, they drafted uh, Devontae Adams in the second round. Montgomery was a third-round pick. So uh, I did read today that they were actually prepared to take uh, Rodgers uh, in the second round. Uh, but then they decided it was between him and the center that they ended up drafting. And they decided to uh, go with the center and uh, started working the phones and made the trade up in the third round. So they obviously feel pretty strongly about him. Um, and, uh, you know, everything that I can tell, he looks like a, he's going to be a nice weapon for them. Yeah. Yeah. Like Rogers, I was excited about him filling that old Randall Cobb role and it's nice to see green Bay hit some needs. It was, uh, it was good to see that. Uh, we're going to skip the segments this week, dive right into our post draft reactions. I did want to bring up that George Criticos has updated dynasty rankings on the site. I will include those in the show notes. Uh, just so you know, 
The first rookie on that is Najee Harris, the number 18 overall and RB11 in those dynasty rankings. Uh, Jeff Hicks and I both have our, our uh, write-ups and our trackers for the draft picks, so check those out if you lost track of what was going on. Uh, but, John, you put out an article today, actually, with 18 rookies who could make an immediate impact. Uh, so I'll put those show notes on there as in well or as well so people can see that. Uh, John, your general feeling about rookies in redraft formats. I, I know you as the guy who recommends Larry Fitzgerald every year, but how do you feel about rookies? <laughs> uh, they tend to be uh, overdrafted a little bit, but there are cer- certain situations, especially as you get later in the draft, that uh, they end up being good values. But it's hard to identify those uh, sleepers that are you know, going to climb the depth chart very quickly. Uh, there's always a few surprises. Um, I think the, the the guys going, especially the running backs at uh, Najee Harris, uh, I think we're going to have a pretty good handle on his value. Um, you know, the, the top receivers, I would say the same thing. Uh, so I, I generally find that they're a little bit overvalued. I did a study a while back that showed that, but uh, I'm, I'm open to drafting them at, at certain points in the draft. Sure, sure, absolutely. And Chris, when you're looking best ball, because you're my favorite best ball guy, uh, when you're looking best ball, where are you looking at rookies, and are you excited to be able to slot them now that the draft is over? Yeah, I think when it comes to drafting rookies in best ball, it becomes much easier, it becomes much more palatable to draft them Like once we know their landing spots. I know folks, as soon as we, as soon as the lobbies open in February, March, they're ready to try and get as much exposure to the rookies because ADP becomes wild at that point. Other than the established guys, like when it was Jonathan Taylor last year, uh, Najee Harris, Travis Etienne this year. I mean, we always knew that most of those guys were going to go early in the draft, so their ADPs were already pushed up but now that we have draft capital and landing spots associated with some of these guys some of the later round guys that folks were taking swings on like trey sermon michael carter kenny gainwell now they become a little bit more interesting and they might be some of those guys that you can slot into any of the i mean uh, any of the draft strategies i mean if you abide by the zero rb drafting strategy some of those guys i mean trey sermon becomes almost one of the darlings of the zero rb uh, draft strategy uh, even for but for wide receivers, it's a little bit different because you know that with uh, wide receivers, they're much more uh, they're much more reliant on target share. And without knowing how well they're going to slot into their positions, whether I mean, regardless of draft capital, it could be a Kadarius Tony who we saw go early in the draft. But given his situation, we don't know what his target share or projected target share could look like in year one. It becomes a little bit more difficult. So while I might be a little bit more bullish on running backs as a whole, or at least rookie running backs as a whole with wide receivers, it becomes a bit more I need to talk myself into or tell myself a story of how they can how they can succeed or uh, wind up falling into a decent target share in their rookies in the rookie campaign sure sure and you talk about uh, adp changing after the draft Najee harris going third round in uh underdog leagues up until the draft how much do you expect that to go uh to increase uh as as we go uh, now that he's a pittsburgh Steeler? Uh, do you expect him to slide kind of have that clyde edwards alaire ascension into the first round or do you think he'll stay in the third uh, I mean, it just depends on who folks are going to wind up taking him over, because if you try and compare his situation to a Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I can't see myself drafting him over a guy like CEH. Uh, I mean, he was going like right around that in that uh, Miles Sanders, J.K. Dobbins, uh, DeAndre, like somewhere around there. I mean, I can I can make the case ahead of a guy like J.K. Dobbins 
Miles Sanders, sure. Chris Carson, maybe. I mean, I think that's I think that's fair for a, a guy in in Harris's situation where as e, uh, Etienne, like in his in his spot uh, when he got drafted by Jacksonville, I think it's a uh, harder for me to see him uh, being a value where he's currently being taken at, or even before the before the draft as well. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so we're going to get back to Najee Harris because I want to talk about him from a redraft perspective and his landing spot in Pittsburgh in general, but I do want to talk quarterbacks a little bit. Uh, John, looking at redraft leagues, generally speaking, rookie quarterbacks aren't something that we look really hard at unless they provide running production, uh, which we have some potential here this year, but there's really only two rookie uh, quarterbacks that we know for sure are starting day one, and that's Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson. Both can run. Neither one of them are quite on like the Michael Vick level of running. But uh, what do you think of Lawrence and Wilson, Lawrence with the Jags, Wilson with the Jets and their potential in redraft leagues this season? Yeah, they're, they're the ones that are pretty much guaranteed to be if something. If, if they're not if they're not starting week one, something went horribly wrong. Let's yeah. just put it that way. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, there's just not a whole else going on. A whole else going on, a whole lot going on uh, elsewhere on the roster. Although I, I'm interested to see if Gar, uh, Gardner Minshew uh, gets traded or something yeah. happens with him uh but yeah 16 to 20 yards rushing per game is what i'm sort of projecting at this point for these two they don't run a ton but that's in, that's enough to give you that nice little floor uh as a runner and then you, of course you get to probably get a couple rushing touchdowns um uh, lawrence certainly has the edge over wilson to me just because i think his uh you know he's a slightly better talent and uh, has a better set of weapons at this point. Although uh, Wilsons were upgraded, or the Jets upgraded their 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 weapons uh, as well. Um, I the the guy that I'm really interested in watching in terms of the camp battle is Trey Lance. Just given the given the offensive system there, uh, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, strong running game, a strong defense. I just think that's really set up well for Lance. And then I think Fields is probably going to start at some point this season i think they want to do a reportedly anyway they want to do an alex smith patrick mahomes thing but the the what happened there was that alex smith kept winning and or at least winning enough and he was nine six as a starter in mahomes rookie year so mahomes never they never really had to go to him and it wasn't until the following season that that happened and i I just don't know that the bears are going to be in that situation for very long i think as soon as the losses start to mount with dalton if he's if he is indeed the starter at the start of the year then the calls in chicago for fields are going to come quickly and loudly yeah i also remember alex smith for kansas city seemed like part of the reason they were winning it wasn't like they were winning on defense so even if the bears you know come out you know five and two or something along those lines if they're winning on defense and struggling to move the ball offensively i'm kind of with you i don't see dalton lasting 16 games as a starter there uh do you think mac jones uh could win the job going in or do you think i i kind of think cam newton's gonna hold on to that job at least at the beginning of the year Uh, do you think mac jones should be in this conversation as well yeah i think i said on the stream that i don't i'm not ready to write off cam newton you know the Mm -hmm. former mvp i think he's turning 32 in may um they really upgraded the weapons he had nobody to throw to except for maybe jacoby myers uh, last year, and that's not saying a whole lot, but they added Hunter Henry and Jenner Smith and Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne, and you know some of those names are bigger than others, but that's a, a much nicer group of receivers uh, to throw to than he had last year. And I don't think we should just write off the fact that he caught COVID and said that he was basically slow to process things and felt like he was behind after he came back from COVID, because that sounds a lot like the uh, brain fog that people have uh, reported in uh when they have long covid uh so 
you know, if he's back to 100%, I think he's got a good chance to, to keep this job for a while. And uh, they won't turn the keys over to Mac Jones until, until they have to, as opposed to wanting to do it right away. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with you there. It makes sense to kind of stick with Cam Newton and go with what works while it works. Uh, Chris, we, we look at these quarterbacks in a best ball format. Trevor Lawrence is going 10th round. I uh, can't imagine that'll change. He's He's been an exciting prospect. He didn't land anywhere we don't know. Zach Wilson, 15th round in underdog best ball leagues. Uh, Justin Fields, 13th round in best ball underdog leagues. And then the other guys are even lower than that. Uh, any of these guys change for you going into the season based on landing spot? Um, I think you can possibly push up a guy like Trey Lance uh, just slightly. I know he was going around uh, the Baker Mayfield, like Daniel Jones, like in, in that in that general tier. But uh, Zach Wilson, I think, moves up slightly. And it's just and for me, that's just my knee jerk reaction, looking at all the things that they improved along the, uh, like within their offense. I mean, it wasn't just the fact that they I mean, they already had Mims, who we thought was ascending. Uh, but they also then they tack on they tack on Corey Davis as well. But then on top of that, they wind up also drafting. They bring in Elijah Moore. They bring in Michael Carter, who we think is fairly decent out of the backfield. So I'm I'm intrigued by the Jets offense. Now, we do know that they still have some issues along their offensive line. I think they were bottom six, bottom seven in, uh, in adjusted sack rate last season. So at the very least, that should provide enough. Uh, I think the uh, there's enough, uh, I guess, uh, motivation there for Zach Wilson to wind up having to scramble quite a bit. So I'm looking for that rushing ability along with some passing upside as well for him to make value in year one. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I'm curious to see how the Jets receivers do. I'm a fan of Elijah Moore as well, which we'll get to that Jets receiver uh, situation a little later. Uh, talking Dynasty a little bit, all these guys definitely have value in Dynasty leagues. Trevor Lawrence in Superflex formats is probably the number one pick. Uh, all these guys uh, could potentially start very soon, including this year. Uh, so from a Dynasty perspective, these guys are going to be useful. Uh, what do you think, John? Who has the best shot? of these to be redraft value for you. We talked about Trevor Lance's or Trevor Lawrence's uh, ADP kind of rising uh, because he's the number one pick and people get excited about the situation's pretty good. Talk about Justin Fields' spot. Uh, who has the best shot at being value? Like who might you target of this group based on uh, where they're being drafted? Uh, well, I think, you know, the fact that Lawrence and Wilson, we're pretty sure they're going to start week one. They have the most value. And then you're looking at Fields or, or Lance and Fields as guys that could possibly start. Uh, and they also have that Konami code uh, rushing ability. So uh, I'm not interested in Mac Jones at all because he's more of a pocket pastor. And, you know, the best case scenario for him is if he wins that job, he's probably going to be in the streaming conversation. That's, that's his upside. Whereas somebody like Lance or Fields, you know, adding 25, 30 yards rushing per game um, could find themselves in the, you know, low end QB one ranks. Uh, especially in a good favorable matchup. So um, that that's sort of how I'm looking at it from a redraft standpoint. Lance is so interesting if he can win that job. If he can just win mm -hmm. that job, he's got so many tar uh, so many targets and options around him. Uh, then deep quarterbacks with dynasty value. John, I know you don't typically talk too much dynasty, but uh, Chris, I know you've played some dynasty in the past. Uh, any of those mid-round quarterbacks, we're talking Kyle Trask backing up, Tom Brady, Kellen Mond behind Kirk Cousins, Davis Mills shows up. Uh, with Deshaun Watson, any other deep uh, players that maybe you might be targeting in Dynasty late? 
I think those are the main guys that I'd be looking for from a from a dynasty perspective. I think the uh, the one that's interesting uh, is the Minnesota situation because we know that with Kirk Cousins' contract, uh, who knows like what they're going to wind up doing. I think after this, I think it's next season where he uh, he doesn't. There's uh, like his dead cap is almost like down to zero if I'm not mistaken after this season. After so, 2022, 22. That, that's that's right. Yeah. So we could see. I mean, uh, if there's a there's if there's a chance that uh, he could wind up getting replaced. I think that would be kind of my my target going into Dynasty uh, dynasty drafts this season. Yeah, my worry about Kyle Trout, I love Kellen Mond. I, I've been, uh, I haven't been shy about how much I love him as a prospect in general. <laughs> he's definitely a bit boom bust, but he's he's got that Konami code aspect to him. So I think if he does land a spot uh, playing, I think he's going to immediately score big points. Uh, my concern with Kyle Trask is, you know, I'm almost 40, and I think Tom Brady – is still going to be playing when I retire. So from work, that's what I think. So uh, I'm concerned that Kyle Trask won't ever start uh, because I, I think that Tom Brady's going to play till he's 85 and, and that that's right. going to be the issue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's, and that's the thing that we always worry about when it comes to, when it comes to rookie quarterbacks is that what's, what's that path to them starting? If it's not going to be the year one or week one, like type of starter, what's their development path going to look like? Cause I know we were asking the same thing about who was it over the past couple of seasons. If it wasn't uh, Eason uh, last year, mm-hmm. uh, it might've been a couple, uh, I mean, or a couple of years ago, but we kind of, we try and find those guys that might have a chance to start and, again we're trying to squint and see what that path might be and i think out of all those guys that we're just talking about even a guy like ian book down in new orleans maybe who knows i mean with the Jameis winston the Taysom hill combo who knows what sean payton wants to do with those guys moving forward so it's really trying to tell you it's all about trying to tell yourself a story about what's that what do they need to develop into a solid quarterback uh, even if it's just a developmental quarterback, bridge quarterback, or whatever. But what's their path to development? What's their path to seeing the field? And if we can actually start to see on-field production for them, if not in year one or year two, but even in the future. Yeah, and sometimes it's a whiff. You know, Jarrett Stidham was one of those right, targets. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, like you said, Eason, now the Colts have Carson Wentz, and then they just drafted Sam Ellinger from Texas. Exactly. Uh, John, I wanted to quickly ask you about Davis Mills, uh, what his path to starting might be since Houston invested their first pick. I mean, it was a third rounder, but it was their first pick in the draft on a quarterback from Stanford uh, with all the uncertainty surrounding Deshaun Watson. Because not only was Watson – uh, having a, a public relations nightmare at the moment and legal problems, but he also was demanding a trade before all that happened. So uh, what do you think of the Texans drafting Davis Mills? And Do you think there's a chance we might see him this year? I, th- I think there is. And of the group that we're talking about right here, this I think he has the clearest path to getting some starts, multiple mm-hmm. starts um, this season due to the Deshaun Watson situation, not only the sexual uh, uh, accusations that have been made against him, um, but also the fact that he wanted out in the first place. Uh, they used their very first pick to draft him. He appears to be somewhat NFL ready. I know um, Matt Waldman from the Football Guys had him in, ranked in their his in his top five, uh, which was kind of an upset given the fact that the top five was pretty much uh, consensus this year. Also, the fact that the Texans are probably going to struggle and the losing team will eventually get their rookie quarterback out there. Uh, Tyrod Taylor is there, and he might you know, end up being the starter at the start of the season. And then Mills maybe comes in mid-season to get some experience and get ready for 2022. Uh, It's not an exciting spot for him unless you're maybe talking two quarterback leagues because of the receiving core there. It's pretty thin. Uh, It's not terrible. Brandon Cooks, uh, Randall Cobb, and they they drafted uh, that that one rookie. Um, So 
not terrible, but also not like the tantalizing receiving core like they have in Cincinnati now. Sure, absolutely. Uh, let's shift over to running backs here. We talked about Najee Harris uh, in best ball with Chris. We talked about him in Dynasty, uh, ranking 18th overall and 11th in George Criticos's updated rankings post-draft. Uh, John, what kind of a leap, or will he make a leap, in your rankings now that he's in Pittsburgh? I think he does get that uh, floor you know, benefit where you know he's probably going to see at least 15 touches per game on average, probably closer to 20, and be that 300-touch running back and there aren't a whole lot of those left in the NFL so I would expect his ADP to rise into the second round uh, I know he's been going in the mid third or, or thereabouts uh, I don't know that he's a no-brainer there because of the situation with the Pittsburgh line um, but sheer volume should really keep his floor pretty high and he won't fall much past the second round yeah, he catches the ball pretty well, too, so I'm bullish on him. I, I I always fall in love with rookie backs. And the interesting thing about Harris this year, he's really the only rookie back that you look at and you're like, yes, he's clearly the starter, clearly getting full uh, full touches. Uh, Travis Etienne landing in Jacksonville, he should probably share with James Robinson. We've got cryptic messaging coming out from the Jags. And then uh, Javante Williams from UNC landing in Denver. He's going to have to contend with Melvin Gordon. Uh are those bad landing spots for, for ETN and Williams to you, John? And how much does that affect how you feel about Robinson and Gordon? Yeah, I mean, the ETN pick was really confusing and terrible for James Robinson owners. Uh, they're talking about a three-man committee there. Don't forget about Carlos Hyde, who's mm-hmm. he's been ruining backfields for a few years now. <laughs> uh, they're, they're talking about ETN initially as a third down back. Um, so that you know, obviously undercuts Robinson's uh, catches. So I moved him way down in my early rankings, although I'm not spending a lot of time on those right now because I'm about to start my uh, initial projections for the 2021 season. So um, I'm not spending a whole lot of time ranking players at this moment, uh, but I will over the next week or so. And then uh, Javante Williams, you asked about him. Um, I, I don't think it's a terrible landing spot, but you know, he's not going to see more than probably 10 or 12 touches per game, which is what uh, Philip Lindsay saw uh, last year in, in the backfield with Melvin Gordon. And, and it's really bad for Melvin Gordon because he was shaping up to be a great value in the fifth round of early drafts uh, and not, you know, going from about 20 touches per game with no Lindsay in the offense or no Lindsay in the game to, uh, you know, 14 or so with Lindsay active. And the fact that they traded up to get uh, uh, Williams, really undercuts his value and shows that they are intent on using him. So I'm expecting about 10 to 12 touches per game for, for Williams at this point. Okay, that makes sense to me. Uh, Chris, are, what are your thoughts from a best ball perspective, how you're approaching uh, both the running backs in Jacksonville and the ones in Denver? Uh, for the ones in Jacksonville, the, for me right now, I'm waiting to see like how their ADP plays out. It's one of those, I don't want to fi- wind up running into that running back trap where I wind up selecting, let's say, James Robinson or Travis Etienne at cost because both of those guys, for where they're going in drafts, I know that at least for Travis Etienne as of right now, or at least as of a couple of days ago, he was going as the running back 24, so somewhere around like the Kareem Hunt, like uh, Mike Davis, like somewhere in there. And thinking about from an opportunity cost standpoint, I would almost much rather select one of the wide receivers going in that range versus trying to figure out is ETN going to wind up hitting value or or not. And then especially if, if we're talking about James Robinson, well, of course, I definitely want one of the wide receivers that are going in that range. Heck, even the the mock draft that we were just doing last night with some uh, other four for four folks. I mean, why when, when I wound up timing out and taking James Robinson, it was Justin Jefferson. It was Allen Robinson that were going right around that same time frame. I'd much rather 
select one of those wide receivers at, at that point. So for at least those guys, I would much rather try and figure out, let's let's wait, see how the market reacts, and and make a decision at, at that point. Uh, for some of the other guys, though, that are going in the later rounds, like the Denver backs, I think the opportunity cost isn't as prohibitive, and I can wind up at least taking some swings on some of those guys, those guys from a best ball perspective, just so at least I'm getting expo- getting some exposure to that situation because, I mean, folks were drafting Mike Boone, I mean, towards the back end of their drafts because they wanted to capitalize on the situation. Let's see what happens if Melvin Gordon can can stay healthy. Let's see what the offense winds up looking like if it's even if it is Drew Locke or if they wind up getting Aaron Rodgers or or whatever. It seems like a situation they want to capitalize on. So given the ADP that will likely come with those guys, let's get some exposure to those guys and then see how the situation plays out throughout the season. Sure, sure. And I, I'm with you. They're waiting to find out what that does to James Robinson's third round ADP to, to see how I feel about that. I get that. Uh, the one running back that that maybe might walk into a, a lot more touches than we expect uh, is Trey Sermon, who was drafted uh, to go to the 49ers, the Ohio State running back. Uh, John, San Francisco was so injury plagued all, all, all the way on offense last year, but especially at the running back position. Uh, you're you're kind of down in California. Did they ask you? to play did they did they consider you at running back i think i'm too tall i'm six eight uh my my height weight speed score is terrible uh i don't have the agility or vision that low center uh, no. gravity you don't have that's right yeah, that's... they it's better it was a rotating situation there and uh you know I, i'm a big fan of raheem mostert's talent uh but he's a little bit i would say slighter and has been unable to stay healthy for a full season. Jeff Wilson has looked like a world breeder as well when he's been healthy. So those two, when they're both healthy, I think probably dominate the uh, the, the touches in this backfield until Sermon gets up to speed. But, you know, they traded up to get him uh, in the third round. And I did a study back in 2019 of trade-up backs, like, uh, you know, what their projections or what their production is relative to their peers who were not traded up for. And I found that third round trade up running backs outperformed their peers by more than 54% in year one, and they're averaging about 10.4 fantasy points per game in PPR. And that's pretty substantial for a third round pick. So I cert- I don't know where his ADP is going to land after all this, but he's going to be probably be the third running back on the depth chart. And I would be happy to use a, a late round pick on him as, as sort of a zero RB target or a, an attrition play because, uh, you know, one, one injury to Mostert or, or Wilson, and suddenly he's getting uh, 10 to 15 touches per game. Yeah, you know, he's been going 13 around, uh, 13th round in best ball formats, Chris. I Trace, you got to think his value rises. If you could still get him that late, like what a great dart throw. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, if we're looking at even just from a dynasty perspective, uh, one of the thresholds that a lot of folks look at for all-purpose backs is uh, a minimum of a 3% target share thereabouts in terms of like, can we see them being like an all-purpose running back? And Trey Sermon, in his final season at Ohio State, uh, he had an 8.4% target share. It's Most folks will just look at the fact that he had 19 targets, but then if you look at from the context of that offense, I mean, that is that is a significant amount, especially for a running back. Uh, so if we're looking at now projecting him within the San Francisco offense, San Francisco in 2020, they were fifth in terms of uh, targets to the running back across all teams in the league. So this is an offense that we actually would want to see our running back go to. And if uh, Trey Sermon 
has shown the fact that he can be a pass catcher out of the backfield. I mean, I can see him moving into that role that they probably wanted for a guy like Tevin Coleman or even any of the other backs that they've tried to rotate in over that. I mean, Jarek McKinnon, I mean, these were all-purpose backs that they, uh, or at least guys that could do it all, I mean, in terms of running between the tackles or running within that wide zone scheme that they use out in, out in San Francisco and also be a receiver out of the backfield so they're not tipping their hand by what whichever personnel they have on the field. Trey Sermon offers that. So out of all the guys that we're talking about here in the later rounds, I can almost see Sermon absolutely shooting up in terms of ADP just because of his situation. And now the opportunity that we see him possibly having with the exodus of Tevin Coleman, Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson. I mean, Raheem Mostert for himself, I mean, he's he's no spring chicken. So while I do think that he doesn't have as much wear on his tires, as, uh, as they say, because he has missed some games, he has been a journeyman, hasn't had a ton of carries or a ton of uh, a massive workload throughout his career, I do think he's uh, Sermon's one of those uh, late-round guys that I think will wind up shooting up folks' draft boards throughout the offseason. Sermon, it's just so interesting that so few running backs in this draft look like someone who could get a full workload. And because Trey Sermon's one of those guys, it's just natural that he'd be a target. Uh, Guys that may not need a full workload but could also still be pretty good targets, particularly in PPR formats, a couple of fourth-round pass-catching backs, Michael Carter, goes to the Jets, which are pretty much devoid of running back talent. I know they added Tevin Coleman, but uh, definitely an open job. And Kenneth Gainwell goes to Philly. Uh, You know, they've been looking for additions in the passing game. Kenneth Gainwell projects as a pass-catching back. Uh, John, in PPR formats, uh, how high are you looking at guys like Michael Carter and Kenneth Gainwell? Yeah, I don't know that these guys are only going to be pass-catchers. You look at what they did in college – Gainwell, 1,459 yards as a, as a runner. Michael Carter, 1,245 yards. I know I know Gainwell's, I think, a little slighter. Uh, yeah, 191 pounds, but uh, Carter's over that 200-pound uh, mark. Uh, he's short, but he's 5'8", but he's he's built well enough to handle some carries as well. And uh, with Tevin Coleman as your primary competition, Michael P. Ryan, the door is open, certainly, for him. I, I, I'm interested to see where his ADP lands. There's another thing going on here with the Jets is that everybody's been avoiding Jets for so long that are they going to continue to do so even though they're changing uh, the regime and, you know, uh, Matt LaFleur's brother is in there now as the offensive coordinator as opposed to uh, Adam Gase. So I think that's, I think he might be able to get a Jets discount this year on a lot of these guys because uh, the, the, the average fan is just thinks that they're going to continue to be the Jets. Um, so I, I think Carter actually is a pretty sneaky pick. Uh, Tevin Coleman is a three-down back and is capable of doing that, but I think it's fair to to wonder if his best days are behind him. Yeah, all new players, all new players for the Jets. Like it's a new quarterback, new receivers, new running back, new coach, new coordinator. Like it's 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 it, you're right. It's it's hard to look at this Jets team and be like, this is going to be just like last year's Jets team when they're all different. Um, do you think Gainwell steals much from Miles Sanders? How much does that affect Miles Sanders for you? Well, I think Gainwell adds to this offense in a, in a way that maybe is, you know, as a pass catcher, they, they need that. Um, they added Devonta Smith. Uh, they still have Dallas Goddard, uh, who's probably going to ascend this, this season. They still have Zach Ertz on the roster, which is a little bit surprising at this point. Um, but, you know, outside of those three, they don't have a ton of pass catchers. Uh, Jalen Rieger had a kind of a so-so rookie year. Um, Travis Fulgham was letting it up for a while, but then just completely disappeared. Greg Ward. Um, so there's opportunity if they want to have both Sanders um, 
and Gainwell on the field at the same time, if an inventive uh, offense could could really utilize both players. I don't think it really hurts Sanders. I think you think you with Sanders, you were hoping they didn't uh, go get a guy that probably could handle ten to fifteen carries a game because that might reduce his uh, workload as you know in, as entering somewhat somewhat of a committee. But I think Gainwell's a player that could be on the field at the same time. That makes sense. Uh, so I, I know most best ball formats, Chris, are PPR scoring. Uh, so mm-hmm. does Carter and Gainwell, how high do they raise or uh, where are you starting to look at them in your best ball formats now that we know where they are? Uh, for Gainwell, doesn't really change a ton for me. Uh I think, if anything, I don't think it changes much of what I think about Miles Sanders, especially given where he was going, but it does possibly impact what we think about Boston Scott, because I do think that Scott, I thought to be one of more uh, one of the better late-round values in terms of where he was going, just given the differential between where Miles Sanders was being drafted and Boston Scott, you could get him in the teens in terms of uh, where his ADP was currently sitting at. So now if they draft a guy... Uh, with slightly higher draft capital, because if I'm not mistaken, Boston Scott was a six-round pick. But we've seen what Boston Scott is capable of. I mean, even in the times where I think when Miles Sanders was out last season due to an in- uh, injury, and Boston Scott actually started a game, he was actually fairly usable. If I'm not he- if I'm not mistaken, he wound up as a top 24 back that uh, that week. If anything, I I think that it might push Boston Scott's value down. But I'm not really trying to target Gainwell at this point. But what John alluded to earlier regarding Michael Carter, he is a guy that I want to uh, I want to try and draft because I know that folks like JJ Zacharyson uh, they've talked about trying to uh, draft into I guess obscure situations because as you guys were talking about earlier, Tevin Coleman was drafted. Uh, uh, they pick up Tevin Coleman. Uh, Michael uh, P Ryan is already there, and then you bring in Michael Carter. Now Michael Carter, his the comps for him have ranged from guys like Giovanni Bernard to Devonta Freeman in terms of the fact that they are like short but they're powerful runners and so if we could see a situation where I mean P Ryan's not cutting it Tevin Coleman we already I mean he couldn't even beat out he couldn't beat out Mostert and Jeff Wilson in San Francisco so what are the odds that a guy like Michael Carter who we already know or at least we have we have an inkling that he could be an all-purpose back he can take over that backfield and wind up being a value I can see that in my mind. So he would be a guy that I would want to try and invest in more so than Gainwell at this point. Sure, that makes sense. Definitely wide open there. Uh, P. Ryan hurt most of last year, but not very impressive when he was uh, available. Uh, Looking uh, dynasty-wise, deep-wise, I think we covered all the guys that might be even in consideration for best ball and redraft. Uh, But deep selections, keep an eye on that I like. Uh, I love Khalil Herbert. Uh, he's uh, g- drafted by the Bears. Obviously, he's sitting behind Damian Williams and David Montgomery right now, but if you've got a taxi squad, Herbert has that three-down back talent, so I like to see him in Chicago. Uh, Chuba Hubbard's an interesting uh, player in Carolina because he replaces Mike Davis as the backup to Christian McCaffrey, and that was lucrative a year ago. Jermar Jefferson slipped in the draft and landed in Detroit where they need a two-down runner. And then uh, Javian Hawkins undrafted. I loved Javian Hawkins. Goes to Atlanta. Mike Davis going to be the starter, and we'll talk about Mike Davis as a winner uh, here. But uh, Javian Hawkins definitely may have an opportunity to make that roster. So those are my dynasty thoughts. Uh, Chris, do you have any dynasty, any guys you're kind of eyeing for dynasty? Uh, I think you covered all of them, to be quite honest. Uh, Chuba Hubbard, I mean, it, it kind of it's kind of sad his fall from grace in terms yeah. of where we were thinking about where he would fall in his class after his 2019 season, he goes back. And then now 
he like where he winds up getting drafted at to where we thought he was going to be drafted almost two years ago. It's just it's kind of weird, like how how like the way that his decision to stay in school, the pandemic and all that wound up completely tanking his draft stop and look where he's at right now. But all things considered, backing up Christian McCaffrey uh, with as many carries as he's taken so far on his second contract, uh, it could be worse. I mean, to be honest. So I don't really mind taking a dart throw at him, like uh, depending on where he's going in rookie drafts at this point. Excellent, excellent. Even in best ball, would you like last round Chuba Hubbard staring at you? Would you throw a dart? I don't know because I, I think that the folks that drafted Mike Davis, uh, the whole Mike Davis, Christian McCaffrey, like getting injured, like in that sort of thing. I want to say that it's kind of one of those. I, I I would I would possibly do it in a a one-off maybe in a tournament strategy or something like that. But otherwise, to me, it, he's not a guy that I'm really trying to target at this point because I don't see the standalone value for him at this point. He's he's only a guy that if Christian McCaffrey were to get injured again, would he wind up making value? And just that's not a, a situation that I'm trying to buy into at this point. That makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> Folks, early bird pricing for 2021 4 for 4 memberships are available. Don't hesitate to sign up early and capitalize on the ever-growing off-season content we bring you day in and day out. Check out Classic, Pro, and DFS embedding memberships up to 25% off right now. See 444.com slash plans for details. So let's shift to wide receivers, and I want to start with you, Chris, because you're a Bengals fan, and the, you know the, the premier player in this draft we talked about uh, Jamar Chase, we talked about in the cold open, John pounded the table for him. Uh, what do you think about the Bengals adding Chase? How does that affect how you're looking at Burrow, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, and that offense in general? Uh, so I, I love it for I love it for Joe Burrow. Uh, of course, the optimal pick. I know some some other folks might come after me saying the optimal pick should have been Sewell. Completely understand that, uh, but I do like the fact that not only do not only does he get one of the receivers that he used to power that prolific LSU 2019 offense, but he also gets a solid, I mean, a, a, a prototypical X receiver within that offense, which is something that they needed. Of course, they hit on T. Higgins, absolutely loved him in his rookie season, but they were using him more downfield than they were to, uh, as that as their. Uh, primary like alpha wide receiver I think towards the beginning of the season his a dot was somewhere in the uh, like 12 to 13 range but then as AJ Green started to like kind of phase out of that offense and we started to see uh, Higgins use more on that offense his a dot actually started to drop I think it dropped down to 11 over the last like six to seven weeks of the season so as I started using him in that primary role we started to see more production from him but he wasn't really uh, he's not that prototypical X receiver Jamar Chase is and given the fact that in that offense I think they were they were fifth and eighth in neutral passing rate over the last couple of seasons under Zach Taylor uh, fourth and ninth in red zone passing rate I think it's the volume still going to be there for that entire offense the only person that I see this like really affecting is Tyler Boyd now Tyler Boyd he was in the 140 150 target range for the past couple of seasons you add a guy in like Jamar Chase you've already got T Higgins uh, they've already come out and said that Joe Mixon is a back that they don't want to see leave the field. So we're expecting his target share to go up. I think Tyler Boyd is the one that I think gets impacted the most, not to say that he completely falls from grace, but I think with Chase's addition, he's the one that gets impacted the most out of all of them. Excellent. So uh, my T Higgins shares are very happy to hear you say that, Chris. Very, very happy to hear you say that. Uh, John talked about the vacated targets, allowing opportunities for Jamar Chase. So we all like him. I want to shift to Devonte Smith. John, uh, Devontae Smith lands in Philly. That's a spot that a lot of people thought 
uh, rookie receiver would really fit in well. Uh, they need targets there. They need to explode that offense out. Devontae Smith definitely was explosive in college. Uh, how do you feel about Devontae Smith uh, in that landing spot in Philly? Yeah, I mean, that's a good spot for him, and it's you know great news uh, for Jalen Hurts. They didn't address the quarterback position really at all, the, the Eagles this offseason. So uh, it, he set up very well. Uh, the one QB1 probably will be ranked as as such in, in our early projections. Uh, I was a little, I was wondering about his, you know, pass attempts and whether or not they're going to be enough targets to go around and eat with the Eagles. And in, in uh, Hertz's three starts, he averaged about 37 pass attempts per game. And that was only, I mean, I think he started, actually started four games, but didn't play the whole game in the fourth, in the fourth game. So the three games that he started, start to finish, he had averaged 37 pass attempts, which equates to, I think, 600 around um, pass attempts for the season. So that's plenty. Uh, Smith should certainly step into the wide receiver one role there. Uh, there's not much competition, as I alluded to earlier, uh, other than the two tight ends. So I think he's going to be fine, though, um, and, and then they may end up moving Ertz. I think he wanted out, or his, there's been some talk of trade. And if that happens, then I think you can really raise uh, Smith's floor as a you know an 8-10 to 10 target type guy. The, uh, the other Alabama receiver, Jalen Waddle, went 6 to Miami. Uh, as the pessimistic Miami Dolphins fan, I look and I worry. I always, I always think, oh, you know, the speed guy in the top ten never works out, is what I always think. So, so I'm scared. I'm scared of that. Uh, are are you more optimistic or or about the same with Jalen Waddle in Miami? Well, uh, Devontae Parker has struggled to stay healthy. Will Fuller has struggled to stay healthy. He did have the healthy season last year until he got popped for for PEDs. And one wonders if that helped him stay healthy. One wonders. Uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, I think there could be some games missed by those two combined that would open up. I mean, I think we're looking at this like, oh, we're going to, you know, he's going to be the two or three behind Fuller and Parker. And then they also got Kasicki. But, you know, the, the chances that Fuller plays 16 and Parker plays 16 um, seem really slim to me. Uh, so maybe you let's say you get 10 out of Fuller or 12 out of Fuller and 10 or 12 out of Parker. Now suddenly you've got Waddle as the wide receiver one or two for eight games. And uh, you know, his, his outlook looks a lot brighter. Um, So I'm not, I don't have him. I don't have him like ranked real high among my rookies. I don't like see him as with a huge role, but you know, if you go back and look at the top 10 picks at receiver, they've, you know, averaged 120 targets so I think he'll be on the bottom side of that but I don't know that he's uh, doesn't have a good chance at 190 100 110 targets okay that makes me feel a little better I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit okay with that <laughs> I mean um, I think you're I think you're maybe looking at Henry Ruggs and you know Will Ruggs and Troy Bayan, Williamson and Troy John Williams, Ross yeah. and all those guys like I can't think of a speed guy in the top 10 that panned out like I just can't think of one so <laughs> Um, <laughs> but, uh, so, uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about Rashad Bateman. I know you're a Bateman fan, uh, John, I, I love him. He was number two on my receiver board as far as just talented as a prospect. I love Rashad Bateman. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, AJ Brown went to Tennessee and I wasn't big on Tennessee as a landing spot at the time. I thought AJ Brown was the best receiver in that draft. And I ended up not really going after him because I didn't like the landing spot. Should I make the same mistake with Rashad Bateman in Baltimore, or should I just think talent trumps? Well, Tennessee's a little different situation because they do throw the ball enough. I mean, they're they're run oriented, but they throw the ball plenty, and it's extremely efficient. Baltimore is another beast because they are you know number one rushing attack in the NFL. 
Uh, are they really going to just bail on that in order to throw the ball more? I mean, they're obviously making some moves with Sammy Watkins, Rashad Bateman, uh, to try to open up the offense or at least make the passing attack more effective. But certainly, you know, pass attempts are still at a premium. Targets are still at a premium in Baltimore. I don't think they're going to change their entire identity and turn into like a Buffalo Bills 2.0 where they're throwing it all the time. Uh, that's not what I. That's not how I would view it because the run, running game has been just fine for them, working just fine for them. I think they just want to make that passing game more efficient. Um, I think that Bateman is really good. Uh, Matt Harmon, and I've just basically been reading his draft profiles and trying to see who the best route runners are of this class. And Harmon's really high on him. I think if he had gone to the Packers, uh, which was my hope and wish and prayer, as you know, very well, uh, he might be ranked, you know, right alongside um, Chase. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a bummer for him to go to a low volume offense. I think he's, he's, he's going to be okay, but you know, you're probably looking at five to seven targets per game as opposed to seven to nine, like you, you would hope for him. Sure, sure. Uh, Chris, these guys, this is kind of that next wave of receivers, Devontae Smith, Rashad Bateman, Jalen Waddle. Uh, those guys, are you looking at them in best ball formats as you're going? Any changes based on landing spot? Uh, no, not not particularly. Uh, Bateman I'm interested in, but that's just because the offense that he's attached to, but we'll see. But like we were talking about earlier, I mean, what's the projected target share? Uh, where can we really where can we really see him like slotting into the offense? So I'm excited for Bateman, but not a guy that I'm targeting. Uh, I would say if if anything, uh, Waddle just because of the high upside in terms of if he hits, we know how he's going to hit. Mm-hmm. He's going to be the that Deshaun Jackson like you know type uh, that archetype that we would like to see like make some splashes. So between. Uh, some DFS shots and maybe some shots in best ball. He'd probably be the one I take the take the most on. But I'm I'm 100% with your concerns because last year uh, I think Miami was 20 25th in terms of deep ball rate. So if we're assuming that Tua takes that step forward, tries to push the ball downfield a bit more, then Waddle would be that guy to benefit from something like that. So out of all those guys, I would say it's either it'll probably Smith, then Waddle, and then probably Bateman right after that. Excellent. Uh- then I want to talk about some slot guys going into crowded uh, crowded receiver rooms. Elijah Moore with the Jets. Uh, they just signed. I, I know it's hard to call that crowded, but uh, they just signed uh, Corey Davis. They've got Keelan Cole. Denzel Mims last year was highly drafted. Uh, and then Jamison Crowder is still around. And then Rondale Moore goes to the Cardinals where they have Kirk, A.J. Green, and, uh, you know, obviously um, De- DeAndre Hopkins. And Terrace Marshall joins the Panthers. Uh, you know, Robbie Anderson, D.J. Moore got lots of targets last year. Uh, John. Those three as rookies, any interest, or is it more of like a just eyeing their usage for later? Eyeing their usage for later. I mean, I think they're they're going to be ranked probably in the. I mean, I think I could. There are situations where I might draft these players late, uh, but they're probably going to be ranked. Just looking, eyeballing them right now. Um, probably going to be ranked fifty plus. Uh, Rondale Moore possibly higher. Uh, Terrace Marshall is intriguing, um, but there's just so much competition right right now for touches i think in year two i think robbie anderson is last year on his contract year two it might be when uh, marshall really takes a big step forward uh entering the wide receiver two role but just because you know christian mccaffrey coming back is going to eat up a lot of targets as well on top of dj moore and anderson being there so i wonder how many targets marshall will see and he's not going to see the rushing attempts that curtis samuel saw i don't think so uh rondo moore in arizona is certainly very interesting uh it's it's tough though to to really produce when one of your 
teammates is seeing 160 targets like Hopkins saw last year. Yeah. Uh, so if they spread things out a little bit more and they and he you know he doesn't flop like Andy Isabella flopped, um, then he could be certainly a fantasy factor. I think the question is, is he playing over Christian Kirk or is Christian Kirk still playing more snaps? Um, but they, they're going to use three, four receivers pretty often uh, in Arizona. And then, and then as far as Elijah Moore, uh, one of the best route runners in the, in the draft and uh, you know, basically a slot guy, uh, but can play outside a little bit. Um, his primary issue in my estimation is Jamison Crowder, who's still, really productive, really good uh, slot receiver. So I, you know, I wonder if he's going to see the field uh, on three wide receiver sets, uh, given the, the current makeup of that receiver room right away. Like he might be, you know, having to work his way into the rotation. Um, and that's going to hurt his overall value as if he's starting off as a sub, um, he's not going to be handed that, uh, that slot job unless they move move on from Crowder, which is entirely possible. Yeah, I was just looking over the cap numbers. Uh, Jamison Crowder, the the Jets have ten million reasons to cut him this year. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll throw Tutu Atwell into that category as well. Uh, but I wanted to ask you, John, uh, about Amon Ross St. Brown with the Lions, who steps into a a receiver room devoid of uh <laughs> of starting talent so they've completely turned over their room and then Amari Rodgers with the Packers you know that's a slot receiver going to position that really needs a slot receiver like the Green Bay uh, has a gap there has a hole where he could really fill in uh those two players do you think they could make more of a, an immediate redraft impact yes I think St. Brown uh certainly uh you look at who they already have Tyrell Williams sort of a low volume he's he can be productive he was good for uh, the Raiders early in his first season there before his uh, plantar fasciitis, whatever it's called, <laughs> in foot injury, um, kind of handicapped him. He had a you know a touchdown I think in his first five games for the for the Raiders and had some you know production as a as far as receiving yards as well, uh, but more of a low volume five to seven target guy. Brashad Perryman I'd put in the same kind of category, more of a big play. Um, guy and not going to be a high volume guy. Uh, so St. Brown, I think TJ Hawkinson, DeAndre Swift, uh, you know, could lead this team in targets on any given week uh, fairly consistently. Um, and, you know, St. Brown apparently can play both inside and outside. So he's pretty versatile. And uh, if he comes in and has a good camp, I think he, you know, is a threat to lead the team in, in targets. And as far as Rodgers is concerned, um, you know, Devontae Adams is going to see 140, 150 targets if Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback. Even if it's not Aaron Rodgers, he'll probably see the vast majority of the targets. But uh, certainly the Packers liked uh, Amari Rodgers uh, enough to draft him apparently in the second round and then uh, ended up going with the center and then traded up to draft him in the third round. So they did have him as a second-round talent, which is encouraging. Uh, it makes his his slot ability is – so his primary uh, competitions – going to be Alan Lazard. He's the, was the, you know, Devante played a lot in the slot, but um, after Devante, it was mainly uh, Lazard and MVS has that specific deep ball uh, role on the outside. So I think Rogers playing time uh, is really up to him. Uh, if he comes in and does well, he's a coach's kid. If he knows where he's supposed to be, he doesn't get frozen out by Aaron Rodgers If Aaron Rodgers is a quarterback, um, he probably shouldn't be since he's a coach's kid and they apparently are really high on his, uh, uh, understanding of football and uh, just knowing where to be, uh, then he could see immediately see six or seven, eight targets a game uh, for the Packers. And that's, that's a very productive offense. One of the best in the league. 
Sure. Let's uh, shift to tight ends real fast, and then we'll get a best ball take on Kyle Pitts as well. But uh, Kyle Pitts, John, uh, redraft, we've talked about this for weeks, so it's not really news. Jen and I have talked about it. Chris and I have talked about it. You and I have talked about it. Uh, Kyle Pitts, uh, I've seen him as high in people's like preliminary rankings as like tight end six. Uh, what should redrafters be thinking about with Kyle Pitts now that he's in Atlanta? Well, it's a good spot for him. I am high on his ability and talent, and we might want to treat him a little bit more like a receiver than like a tight end. And generally, I have a do not draft rule on rookie tight ends, but I think I would make an ex- exception for him. I think he's going eighth, ninth round right now at uh, an early underdog. I know at FFPC, uh, best ball drafts where it's tight end premium, he's going quite a bit earlier. Um, so I think th- it's depending somewhat on price. Um, I, I do think that there is a, a little bit of a danger of getting too high on him because it, even if he's playing uh, ahead of Hayden Hurst, which seems likely, uh, but not necessarily guaranteed, Hurst is around for another year. Uh, they decided not to pick up his uh, fifth-year option, but he's still going to be on the team this year as far as we know, unless they move him. Um, you know, Maybe they let Pitts uh, learn and you know play half the snaps or 40% of the snaps to start the season before they really unleash him. Um, if he's starting right away and is going to play 80, 90% of the snaps and is going to see 90, 100 targets like uh, uh, Hurst saw 88 last year, uh, then you can move him up into the tight end one ranks. Uh, the, I think the concern here for me is if Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley are both on the roster, then when those two are healthy, then uh, Pitts is going to be at best the third option in the passing game, and that's not usually conducive to a, a really early pick on, on a tight end. Eighth, ninth round, that's actually uh, lower than I thought he was going. So that's that that's interesting. Chris, at that cost, uh, are you interested in Kyle Pitts as a rookie this year in best ball formats? Uh, eighth, ninth round, yeah, for sure. Opportunity cost, at least relative to wide receivers and running backs, typically going in that range. For what we think is the projected upside for a prospect like Kyle Pitts, absolutely. Uh, I haven't seen that. If I, if I can get him at that cost, I have no issues with that. Uh, actually, uh, I saw a post from Pat Foreman earlier today. Now, this is over for uh, FFPC, now with the tight end premium over there. Uh, Kyle Pitts has now become more expensive or drafted ahead of uh, Mark Andrews, Dallas Goddard, Noah Ooh. Fant, TJ Hawkinson. Mm. I mean, he he has now moved into a spot where I, I, I can't do it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> unfortunately, I, I can't. Actually, Pat, uh, Pat actually noted a spot where somebody took him, I think, 22nd overall. Absolutely mm. not. I'm not doing that. Uh, so I think the I think we've gotten a little bit ahead of ourselves regarding what he what he can do. Now, don't get me wrong. Once in, I mean, I know we throw the term around generational talent a bit too much. I think Pitts kind of falls into that range. And also, don't get me wrong, his situation also falls into where we're now hitting both the we're checking both those boxes in terms of talent and situation. Atlanta fifth, fourth, and third in neutral passing rate over the past three seasons. Excellent spot to fall into, but for a rookie tight end, in order, we needed to see multiple injuries in the Giants receiving core in order for Evan Ingram to do what he did his rookie season. So it's it's really hard for me to rationalize taking a pick like that. But is fantasy football rational? Is I mean, is the scoring or whatever, when we look at our teams, at the end, is any of that rational, especially when it comes to tight ends? So if folks want to do that, that's fine. It just most likely won't be me. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I'm staying away from him at cost. Uh, I like the eighth, ninth round, but I'm with you, Chris. I haven't actually 
seen him go in that range. So that's kind of yeah. been my thing. Uh, we talked about James Robinson's value down. We're going to kind of wait and see on this, uh, uh, where the ADP settles on that. But running backs that went up, you know, we really expected Atlanta and Miami to pick up a running back uh, with Travis Etienne and Javante Williams not landing in those two spots, which were favorite uh, favorite landing spots for them by most mock drafters. Uh, Mike Davis, Miles Gaskin look like they're in line for starting carries. Uh, John, Mike and Ga- Mike Davis and Gaskin, where are you landing on them at this point, assuming those teams don't do anything else? Yeah, they have to be getting a boost, and I think we were all bracing for a running back pick for both of those teams throughout the draft, and they just kept ignoring it. I think the Dolphins picked somebody late. Or am I thinking of something Yeah, it's else, a but... two-down banger whose name uh, escapes me at the moment. But he's a guy I didn't expect okay. to be drafted. So, <laughs> Okay, so, I mean, I think I think they like Gaskin. I think uh, the Falcons like Davis. I mean, they went out and got him in free agency. He did a good job last year for the Panthers. I mean, he's not a world, world beater. Um, but certainly high-volume roles probably for both of these players if they can stay healthy. And I, they just look to me, just looking at their names and their situations, like they're going to be – uh, fifth round picks in, in fantasy redraft uh, you know maybe they creep into the fourth round but it sort of depends on the depth of the position I won't know for sure until I run my projections but you know they have almost no competition um, I mean Ahmed in, in uh, Miami was pretty good uh, but I don't think when Gaskin was healthy that Ahmed was seeing much of a role at all and uh, as far as the Falcons uh, Brian Hill's gone Todd Gurley's gone so I think it's just Ito Smith Ito Smith's um, gone too yeah. Has he gone too? Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, mean, I got to relook, relook at my depth charts. But um, Mike Davis, I think, should see you know fifteen to twenty touches pretty easily in that in that offense, and he's a pass catcher as well as he showed last year. So PPR formats as well. I think both of these players arrows pointing up, and um, I think fifth round is actually really you know they're replacing to me replacing uh, Melvin Gordon as the values in that fifth round. I love it. I love it. Uh, and gentlemen, that was a quick hour. Uh, we <laughs> trying to cover everything in the draft. It was really difficult. Everyone be sure to follow John on Twitter at four for four underscore John. Go subscribe to four for four dot com. John, any final thoughts on the draft before we go? No, I'm just going to be quiet for a couple of weeks, get my projections done, and I'll, <laughs> I'll reemerge from the rankings cave here soon. I got See you all later. Uh, Chris, any final thoughts before we go? Uh, no, I'm I'm really trying to get my hands on some uh, some ADP. So you'll probably find me in some of the best ball lobbies over the next few weeks, whether it be underdog, BB10s, FFPC, don't even care. Uh, I'm just trying to get a handle on some ADP and let's get into that best ball mania here as soon as possible. Excellent, excellent. Go find Chris in those lobbies. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at 2GuysBrandon and at ChrisAllenFFWX. Thanks so much for listening. Have a good day.